This is commercial towing vehicle Nostromo. Mother's interrupted the course of our journey. Seems she has intercepted a transmission of unknown origin. She got us up to check it out. Ash, can you see this? Yes, I can. I've never seen anything like it. What happened to Kane? Something has attached itself to him. We have to get him to the infirmary right away. You know the quarantine procedure. 24 hours for decontamination. He could die in 24 hours. Open the hatch. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect. Welcome. It's structural perfection, isn't it? Standardized hostility. You admire it. I admire its purity. Alien is the first time I remember feeling that it was okay to be frightened by a movie. I usually, uh, as a younger person, I avoided horror films. I didn't want to be scared. I didn't like to be nervous. But Alien drew me in, and I think one of the reasons is that it has one foot in the horror genre and the other foot in science fiction, and I've always been a big science fiction fan. Uh, So it has it brought together all of the elements necessary to bring somebody who maybe wasn't a big horror guy and and bring them over into that genre. Hello and welcome back to Scream Addicts. I'm Jinx, your host, and that was Victor Gishler talking about Ridley Scott's 1979 sci-fi horror film, Alien. Mr. Gishler is a novelist, comic book writer, and screenwriter from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. His work has been nominated for the Edgar, Anthony, and Bram Stoker Awards and includes such titles as Go-Go Girls of the Apocalypse, Vampire Go-Go, The Deputy, No Good Deed, The Punisher, Deadpool, Death of Dracula, and Fear Itself, Hulk vs. Dracula. Also, fans of great crime reads out there, do yourselves a favor and seek out Shotgun Opera. It's incredible. Anyway, Mr. Gishler, thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, it's a nice invitation, and I'm always I'm always happy to kick back and talk about a, a cool movie. <laughs> now, as with every app, I'll uh, I'll ask you, given the option to choose any horror movie at all to chat about, why why go with Alien? Uh, because you know, I I I have a kind of finicky relationship with the horror genre. There is not a lot of you know. There's a lot of there's stuff I really like, and then there's stuff I don't care for. I'm not a big slasher guy. Um, I'm sort of choosy about uh, supernatural things. Uh, but Alien really works for me because it does uh, it does some of the same things like a movie like The Thing does. 
and you know what some people call a, a monster in the house sort of movie and I, it's a very sort of simple idea executed as well as it can be executed and i would i i i like i like a I like a good idea, a good, simple idea executed very well, uh, rather than a, a complex idea executed poorly. So I felt like I could talk about it somewhat in terms of horror, but also in terms of filmmaking and storytelling and, and character and, and so on. And just how I just think the puzzle pieces fit together in that film so perfectly well and that the end product is something uh amazing and the, frankly your your uh when you contacted me and said what kind of you know would you want to come talk about a film i had just i was in a hotel room and i was flipping around and there was alien on cable and i and i just started watching it again and i i was immediately struck by how how well it held up it was it's just as seems as solid to me uh you know now as it did back then yeah i i adore the movie too i think it's really i i I can't imagine we could find many fans of the genre who do not think that highly of alien but uh you know even for that said i mean the movie is a masterpiece and it's you know, it's funny, uh, somebody on a podcast that I listened to had noted once that their favorite Alien movie between Alien and Aliens was whichever one they were watching at the time. And I kind of get that, because Aliens is a lot of fun, it's beautifully made, it's super intense, I, I just adore it. But honestly, I mean, the best movie in the franchise surely has to be, I think, Ridley Scott's movie. I I just, I love the film. And it's funny, you touched on something there, you called it kind of a monster in the house movie, and... You know, I I love sci-fi horror hybrids, and you mentioned The Thing, too. I mean, that's got to be one of the best, if not arguably the best. But, you know, while Alien is surely that, you know, I I love that the movie is really more of a haunted house film film in a way. You know, it's – or it's an Agatha Christie whodunit where we already know, you know, who the killer is. Um, You know, it's a xenomorph in the airlock with a wrench. Um, But even even Ridley Scott, I read somewhere, told Harry Dean Stanton to liken the movie more to something like uh, Ten Little Indians than a straight-up monster movie. And I wonder if the movie isn't more powerful for that. You know, it really – it reminds me of the approach that's taken with Jaws as well where we don't see much of the creature. It's always kind of like lurking in the shadows. And I think if – if the sequels are worth anything, and I am a fan of the franchise, even, uh, well, not Covenant, but, you know, a lot of the other movies, but I think they really sort of illustrate that the more you show the creature, the less effective it is. And I think Scott, in sort of, you know, not showing the creature for the longest time, you know, and keeping him hidden, it really makes it so much more effective, and it, it does seem like a ghost movie at times. And I, I just, I love it for that. I love it so much. The movie... You know, is one of those rare great horror movies that really doesn't lose much of an impact with repeat viewings. No matter how many times you watch it, it still works incredibly well as a thriller and as, you know, a bit of hair raising entertainment. Yeah, I agree with. I definitely agree about it still working. I mean, maybe the jump scares don't work as much because you know they're coming or something, but uh, it's just such a well crafted movie, and I think it benefits 
from its some limitations. You know, as as you say, you don't see the monster so much, right? I mean, you don't see the alien. You, you kind of see, you kind of feel the alien vibe a lot, and know he's maybe he's right around the corner, but you don't see him so much. And I remember watching the um, the making of Blade Runner uh, documentary, and. Ridley Scott always saying how he had to disguise his limitations. He had to disguise how cheap everything was and how he was, you know, there was always this, everything was dark and there was smoke and there was dripping water. And, you know, and you can see, you can see all that in alien. You could see, you know, it, it, it's such a good looking movie, but part of the way it's like a good looking movie is that it's disguised it's it's being disguised any of the shortcomings are disguised by the darkness and dripping water and steam and smoke and things like that which disguise anything that might look cheap but also just adds it adds to the vibe of the film and it totally works and you know you can almost see when you get to aliens when you get to the sequel aliens you can almost sort of detect that the first movie was so successful we're going to we're going to up your budget and now you can see lots of aliens now you can see them <laughs> all all throughout the movie and running around because we got plenty of money in the and that works too in a different way but i think ridley scott is a, the sort of master of okay what do we got to work with and how can we make it look the best and be the best within the limitations that we have to work with. And I also, I also thought of the movie Jaws. I watched I watched the documentary of, of that one too, how the making of that one and how the shark was always, was never working. The shark was never working. So they were trying to film other scenes around it. And I think in a way Jaws benefited from that because, you know, you, you, you get to spend so much time with those different characters. I don't want to get too far into Jaws because we're talking about Alien. No, please, that's all you want. That's, I, that's a yeah. show in a nutshell. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but I but I think um, you know sometimes limitations are limitations, and when something when something looks crappy or the story's dumb or whatever, you can say, "Well, we didn't have a big budget and we had limitations." But then other people like Ridley Scott can just take those limitations and make them work as a, as almost a, uh, um, an advantage instead of a limitation. You know, it's funny in watching that movie though. I mean, we are talking about alien and jaws back to back and, you know, both movies definitely benefit from their limitations certainly. But I mean, you know, I, it's hard to say that being a fan of, uh, you know, Scott and Spielberg, because part of me being a fan of those guys wants to believe that it was all down to their skill. And they knew that, you know, keeping the uh, the monster hidden would make it far more effective. And yet, you know, when we get to the later stages of their career, you know, they they uh, when they're given the opportunities and the budgets to show the creature, they they really do. I mean, look, I, even within the same franchise, if you look at Alien Covenant. There is none of the suspense, none of the tension that the original film had in that movie. And, you know, that's Scott directing that character again, you know, that creature, that monster again. And because he had the budget to show it, he, I mean, he has a CG xenomorph bouncing around the quarters like it's on crack in the movie. And we see all of it very well lit. And it's just, it's not good. It's not very good at all. Like, um... You know, and I'm I'm just talking about the approach in filming the alien. I'm not talking about the movie itself. Although the film isn't very good either. I'm not a fan of Covenant. Um, 
but yeah, no, I mean, so I wonder, I wonder how much of that we can credit to Scott and how much we can credit to there's simply not being the, uh, the, the resources to show the, I mean, could you imagine a version of alien where they had much more money and that would have led him to filming the creature, you know, much more at length, you know, with better lighting and bigger set pieces. And if so, do you think it would have made the movie better or worse? Because I can only imagine that it would have weakened it. Well, I mean, I mean, but, but we almost, we kind of do get that movie later with, with, uh, you know, with aliens too, which was good. I mean, you, you've, I, I mean, I, I know what you, I know what you're asking me, but I think Scott, Scott's skill, Scott's got, Scott's talent is not just being able to make the most of limitations. He's got greater skills than that, but that is one of his, one of his skills. And he says that, I mean, he, he says that when he talks about using the water and the darkness and smoke and steam and things like that, you know, he, you know, so I, I feel like, I mean, it all starts with the script. You know, I mean, you know, what is it? Dan O'Bannon's got a pretty good script, a pretty darn good script. And so no matter how big the budget is, I mean, it, I mean, isn't it in the script? Isn't the script kind of the, the guideline, you know, the, the, the uh, backbone of the, of the story. So I, I kind of feel like, I feel like my, my gut feeling is he would not have gone nuts. If they just said, you know what, it's Christmas. We're going to double your budget. <laughs> you know, I just, I don't, I feel like it still would have probably come out. I still, I don't, I don't feel like it would have been so, such some terrible thing. And I should happened. note, I, 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 just, I, I am not bashing Ridley Scott at all here. I, I adore Ridley Scott. I'm just bashing Alien Covenant, really. But, um, yeah, I didn't know if it was worth asking, you know, in, in some cases with directors. I mean, you know, the limitations they have to work with, you know, I just sometimes it can really benefit a film and sometimes it's it's a great asset and i i think in the case of alien and absolutely with jaws that was the case but uh but yeah you know i i just i've always wondered that how those movies might have been had they commanded the budgets that some of their sequels did you know you know i think i think every good film is a perfect storm of things coming together just right because okay so Alien benefits from its limitations. So does that mean if we cut the budget in half, it it benefits doubly? No, I don't <laughs> believe that. I mean, so so a, a far smaller budget could have been as bad, you know, would have been as bad as a, maybe a bigger budget. I don't know, but it, they had what they needed. They they executed with what they had. I mean, it just all comes together. I think I think circumstances are important in a, when you're trying to make these kind of decisions like, okay, well, they had the right budget. Maybe at the time they wished they had more. I don't know. Uh, but, but it, you know, these things kind of, you know, it's like, did you ever like bake a cake or you grill a perfect steak or something? And then you, you know, the next week you try to do it again and it's not quite as good. I mean, you know, you know, you know, I think all the talented people, came together at just the right time and the right way with the right budget. And it just, and it just happened. You can't, you can't, I mean, it's fun to talk about and speculate, 
but you know, lightning in a bottle, right? I mean, that movie worked and things came together exactly how they needed to come together. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's a kind of magic. But, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, no, I think you're right. And I will, uh, I'll never be able to think of alien without thinking of cake or steak now. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, no, I mean, if somebody came to me, if somebody came to me and said, we want you to direct a film, would you like $50 million or would you like $10 million so the limitations can inspire you to be artistic? I'd probably just take the $50 million. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, you can't. I mean, they're doing – all these guys do, you know, they work with what they have. And maybe sometimes uh, maybe sometimes the leash is too long and other times it's too short. But I think with Alien, it just was – it was one of those things where everything just happened just right. I agree. Is it uh, is it your favorite in the franchise? Well, I'm I for a long time it was Aliens because I was more of like an action guy, and uh, you know there was we had gun we had all the gunplay and the 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 that the planet rover thing driving around. I mean it was, it was a lot. It was a it was a big action spectacle. Um. And I feel like as I matured, Alien got bigger in my appreciation. Um, and I think, and but I but I still love I still love Aliens too. But what was it? Didn't you say somebody said their favorite was whichever one they were watching at the time? Yes. Yeah. 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 See, I feel like I was that way. I feel like I I grew into that position. And now I'm, I, if I am pressed, some, if you got a gun to my head, I would say alien. I would go ahead and just say alien. Fair enough. Because I think it's just craft, it's crafted so well. It is. It's gorgeous. It is beautifully made. I mean, you know, uh, the fact that it pulls so much from Giger and, you know, the fact that it's so well shot, you know, I, I remember when Gladiator came out, there was just this throwaway line that somebody wrote in the review, but they said that uh, there isn't a better shooter in Hollywood than Ridley Scott. And I think that's true. I don't think anybody can quite match him as far as his eye goes, or couldn't at his best anyway. And I think, you know, it's there even in his second film. I think Alien is just beautiful at times. And, um, yeah, no, I I, I adore the movie. I really do. Uh, now, well, I got Oh, One of the things, just well, just real quick, real quick, talking about the 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 way it's the way it's beautiful, and because this is two, this is like two years after Star Wars, and one of the great things about it is it's not Star Wars. I mean, Star Wars was awesome, but but you know, a lot it would have been it would have been not a smart move to try to ape Star Wars, you know, um, and instead. We got something. I mean, wasn't it Scott that said he wanted truckers in space or something like that? It was some yeah, kind of yeah. like, yeah, yeah. And it was, and it looks dirty, and it looks, uh, it's, 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 it's like if you got some oil rig guys or something and sent them up to space, you know, it would look like this. And that's not Star Wars, you know. So, so Star Wars looks great. I remember being an eight-year-old and star, there's Star Wars, and that looks. And I'm like, oh my god, look at this. But then. Alien comes along, and I had the same. It was the same reaction of being impressed by just the way it looked, and yet it was a completely different look that we're looking at. 
And it makes it scarier, too, the fact that, you know, even being in space, even for these people having this crazy job, I mean, they feel very relatable. They're blue collar. They are, uh, you know, I mean, the best kind of horror, right, is the, uh, you know, ordinary people in extraordinary situations. And as crazy as it is to think about space truckers as being somewhat relatable to audience members, I think people could watch that movie and see themselves in those characters to an extent. And that makes it scarier when they start getting picked off by a giant raging penis monster. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, I, I always love the sort of, uh, the, the space trucker approach in that film and, you know, the characters, it feels like a very lived in world, but all of the actors managed to nail the relationships amongst themselves and the fact that it feels like these people have been living with one another for ages. You can tell in the smallest of ways that, you know, they, what they think about one another. It feels like an actual crew instead of, uh, you know, some of the later movies. And I hate to keep bashing the sequels. I'm not going to do that because I, like I said, I'm a fan of the franchise, but you know, I, I think with some of the later films, it was simply a matter of, Hey, let's get some zany characters in there. Let's make certain that everybody has their one thing, you know, their one tick, their one uh, their one personality trait, and then we'll just throw them all into this adventure and we'll pick them off one by one. But if you look at the original <laughs> film, instead, it really is it it feels like, you know, just a gang that's been working together in the muck for ages, and I, I think it's so much stronger for it. Well, I mean, I I think. I mean, that's like, that's once again, I go back to a perfect storm, you know, a perfect storm of things coming together because in order for those things to happen with the characters, you've got to have a rock solid script that is just written well and is, and knows what it wants to accomplish. And then you've got to bring in, you know, Yafit Koto and Harry and Harry Dean Stanton and people, you know, people who, have done some acting and know how to be a character. I mean, you got the guy, I mean, I mean, the thing about Stanton, I mean, that guy was in Kelly's heroes and pretty in pink. <laughs> and I mean, that guy has been in so much, a crazy array of different stuff. And, um, it's tempting to say, you know, like <laughs> he's almost like the same character, but in different contexts, but he, he knows what he's doing. I mean, he's one of those guys, He's just one of those guys, dependable Hollywood guys that you're going to, he's going to do the part that you want him to be in and all the performances. I mean, there are performances that are, you know, we talked about the, like the budget and, you know, limitations, but there's a sort of, there's a sort of understatement to a lot of the performances. And I I don't want to get too far away from your point about, these characters knowing each other because I, I remember, you know, you got the two sort of engineer guys down in the bowels of the ship, and then the Sigourney Weaver goes is like, I'm coming down there, and Yafet Koto is like, Oh, what does she got to come down here for? You know, like that's, <laughs> they got their territory, you know, they got their like space. They're like, well, what is she coming down here for? You know, so the so I totally agree with everything you're saying about these. You you do get the feeling these characters have been in each other's pockets for. They're out there, out in space, a long time, doing their jobs and everything. Um, but you know, there is a wonderful. There's no, I, I, I never sense. There's not one time I sense any overacting. No. Now you get, you get to, you do get to the point where the characters are afraid and being killed and they're screaming and it gets loud, but it's not inappropriate. I mean, there's a lot of. 
you know, these guys talking to each other, they're not talking to each other like they're delivering lines or trying to convey, you know, you ever, you ever hear one of those where a character says something to another character, but you realize they're talking to the audience. They're not talking to each other. They're talking to the audience to convey to, yeah, to convey information to the audience. I, I always got the feeling those characters were really talking to each other, you know, and one of my, one of the best, one of the scariest moments and one of the best moments was really understated. Uh, and that is when Dallas is in the air shaft <laughs> and, and he's like, and he says something like, uh, you know what? I'm going to get the hell out of here. <laughs> I mean, and he just says it like really calm. I mean, he could have said, Oh my God, I've got to get out of here. I mean, he didn't, but he didn't. He was like so calm. And he was like, you know, I'm going to get there. I'm, you know, I'm, I've been in here enough. I think I'm coming out. And the way he says that is far more, I'm far more frightened for him in that moment than if he'd been all hysterical or whatever, because I mean, it's just a, an understatement that worked so well. Or even if he had turned it into a but, comic beat, which somebody so easily could have done, you know, uh, that sort of winking at the camera so that the audience can laugh during an otherwise tense moment. No, you're right. I mean, that's, it feels like a real person in a real situation. And as a result, it's so much scarier. Oh, it's, it's really, it's really scary. And, um, and you, you know, that you get, you get gross, you get gross moments, you get your gross moments, you get your jump scares. But as far as just feeling afraid for another character, like when he, cause when he says, uh, you know, I'm going to get the hell out of here. I'm like, yeah, get the hell out of there. Dummy. That's what are you doing? What are you even doing in there? You know, and I'm just so afraid for the guy. And of course, you know, spoiler alert, he doesn't quite, you know, get out in time, but, uh, but yeah, get out of there, man. So I don't know. I don't know. I feel like, and this in that, my little rant all started with your comment about these characters knowing each other. But I do feel, I do feel like when that movie starts, we have stepped into a world that's been going on for a while. Yeah. That the world, the world didn't start when the movie started, the movies, the world started before and we've arrived at an opportune moment. Now it's funny when we do arrive in that world, you know, going back to the characters, the first time that you saw the film, did you have any sort of... Well, actually, I should ask this. Did you see the film before there were any sequels or before you had an awareness of any follow-ups? I had... Well, the thing is, when that movie came out, I was really young. And it was a rated R movie. And I didn't go, I didn't go see it. So when the sequel came out, I'm like, well, I don't want to go see two until I see the first one. So I had to go get it on VHS and see it on an old VHS. I mean, it wasn't old at the time. It was, you know, state of the art, <laughs> but now it's, you know, so I, I have not, I didn't get a chance to see it in on the big screen. I've only seen it on, uh, on, you know, video or DVD or cable or whatever. Uh, the reason I ask, I, uh, you know, I didn't know if you were aware that, you know, Sigourney Weaver would inevitably survive and, you know, her Ripley would make it to another movie because, you know, when, when we're dropped into that world and we meet all the uh, the space truckers, um, it's not immediately apparent that she is going to be our, uh, you know, our final girl of sorts. You know, it's uh, it, it honestly feels like it could almost be more... Um, 
oh gosh, who would you say? Maybe, um, I mean, obviously it's an ensemble, but like Dallas, you know, does he seem more like the traditional hero of the film? Uh, you know, as opposed to Ripley, who, you know, very much doesn't at first. And I think it must have been such a nice surprise for audiences seeing it the first time to not know who was going to survive, who wasn't going to make it or was or wasn't going to make it until the uh, the credits, you know. And if I had been a brand new audience member, if I hadn't been aware of all of the sequels, I'm not certain that I would have put money on Ripley lasting that long. Well, you know, that's funny. You know, I, I, I did notice. I didn't notice it quite in the way you've put it, but I did notice, I noticed what you're saying, which is because you think of a movie being made today and a, and a movie. And, and the thing is, I mean, a number of my, uh, a number of my books and things have been optioned for film and it always comes down to what star, what star can they get in the film to secure the financing and all that. Well, so, so you, so I'm, so you're thinking, okay, a film has a star and a star. Well, if they're the star, then that's who the camera is on most of the time and who gets the lot, who gets most of the lines and everything, because they're the star, but you're right. You know, Sigourney Weaver's there, but they don't, you know, Ridley doesn't single her out and make her the star. She ends up being the star because she's, she's the one that sort of steps up, and takes charge and is the survivor. But she, that, you're right. When we start that film, she's not the star. It's she's just one of the people going down to investigate this signal and everything. So, and I and I think the film benefits from that too. I think, and I think a, a lot of films probably can't do that because if you got to sign up, I don't know whoever's a big star today, but you know. You got to sign up Nick Cage. Nick Cage probably going to expect the camera to be on him. Nick he, Cage would have most a of the lines and all that. Ripley. Oh yeah, no, no, yeah, absolutely. But I'm just saying. I mean, you you follow what I'm saying, right? I mean, there was no the service was to the story. Yeah, the service wasn't to the star. And so I think that was another way the movie benefited. Absolutely. And it's a great bit of sleight of hand with how she's written too. I mean, when we were first introduced to her, she's you know, she's tough. She's a bit cold. And, you know, I, when we, <laughs> there's that big sequence early on where they almost want to villainize her a bit when she uh, doesn't let Dallas and uh, Lambert and Kane back onto the ship, you know, due to, uh, you know, the regulations, you know, the quarantine essentially, because they've, you know, one of them has been infected. And I, I you know, there's almost that feeling that audiences were meant to dislike her initially. And yet, as the film keeps going on, you know, you realize she was 100% right. She was absolutely correct. She should not have let them back aboard. And I yeah, just... well, but, 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 but in the moment, you're like sympathetic with, because Dallas seems like he's protecting his guy. He yeah. needs to get him aboard and help help him. So your, your instinct is like, yeah, oh, you got to let him on and help the guy. Yeah, you know. And she's just um, like, nope. But no, I get, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I just, I wonder if yeah, audiences really, realized it, at that point that she would wind up in, you know, if there was any sort of inkling for, uh, you know, an uninitiated viewer back then uh, that Ripley would wind up being the film's hero or indeed when the movie really kind of tips that because I'm not certain that it does until she is the last person left standing. And I don't think her fate is really a foregone conclusion at any point in that movie. You know, I, she very easily could have died in the final frames too, but um yeah, it, it's, it's, and I love that for it. You know, I love that she isn't given a sort of, uh, 
She isn't given a heroic close-up when we first see her. She isn't given the sort of final girl introduction. There's no real um, investigatory gaze from her in that first act. Nothing of the sort, you know, and I think it makes her so much more interesting. And again, like we were talking about before, it makes it seem so much more real. You're right, because there would be, there would be something artificial about about somebody being singled out as the star, you know, of the film. I mean, everybody's just kind of doing their jobs and, you know, those jobs come into conflict. And so that, you know, that adds to the story, but, but uh, I I think you're exactly right. And I, I, I I like that about that, about the film. I do think, I, I do think by the time there is a time where Dallas is gone and she steps up, and says, okay, you know, she tells people, you go get a burner and you go get this and we're going to, and I'm going to set the thing to self-destruct. I mean, there, there is a time where you're like, okay, well, she's taking charge now. And we're, she's our, she's our person. She's our, our hero now. I do think we, there is a point in the movie where that kind of falls into place, uh, but it's not soon. It's not when we start. And there is this sort of, cause we, we there is this sort of, um, this notion of the audience kind of floating along with the film. Well, what's going to happen? Who's who's well, now the Dallas guy's dead. Now what's going to happen? You know? So I think what you I think we do see her. I think we, she grows into the hero role, I think, but I don't think it's soon. And I, I think your point is, is on target. Yeah. And even by the time we reach the credits, there isn't a feeling that, you know, this was the start of a franchise. Not that we would have felt that about any movie, really, that came out in the 70s, you know. But, um, but you know, in this case, it feels like Alien really could have just ended its story at the end of that first movie, and that could have been it, you know. And I, I almost wonder, um, as much as I love the franchise, even for some of its weaker entries, um, I, I, you know, I, I wonder how the movie would be regarded today were it not for all the sequels. Do you feel that its impact has been in any way lessened by some of those later movies, or does it really not matter that much? I think after, I think after two, it didn't matter. Because the, the, the old cliche is that a sequel, the sequel is, you know, I mean, Jaws 2, it was fine, but it went, nah, it was not as good. I mean, the, the sequel is never as good is the old cliche. And Aliens 2 came along and said, no, we're going we're gonna to do a, something a little different. We're going to take it more in an action direction, a little bit less of a horror direction. We're going we're gonna to get a little bit louder with some explosions and some gunfire and things like that. But there is a way, there is a way to come back and do it again. And, um, and not, not, not have it be that sophomore slump. And I think that raised the level that raised the level because when they could come back and do it again and not have an, like a, a noticeable, fall off of quality that that sort of cemented things. I mean, I don't know if, if there had never been any sequels, I don't know how we would view. I mean, maybe alien would be just a great, a great 
sci-fi horror from the 70s that people remembered and they thought it was really good. But that sequel sort of, like if you weren't paying attention before, well, now you're paying attention because there's, we did it again and it was great again. And so now it's uh, some new different level. I mean, does that make sense? I'm just, I didn't no, think it, about that until you asked me, so I, I kind of was making that up as I went along. <laughs> no, I, I, I take <laughs> your point totally. Uh, you know, it's it's funny. I have, uh, you know, I've worked at a movie theater before. I worked at one for ages, and naturally, movie theaters attract movie nerds to work there. And I've worked at a bookstore, you know, where, uh, you know, uh, most of the staff was, uh, you know, fellow nerds like me. And so, you know, you could have lengthy conversations about franchises of all sorts, especially genre stuff. But, um. You know, I, I've also worked other places, and me being a movie nerd, of course, that's what I want to talk about. But, you know, I, I come into contact with what I would consider just general audiences from time to time. And not that long ago, I'd actually been talking about the Alien franchise, and I asked the co-worker if he had seen Alien. And he was like, yeah, um, where it fights the, uh, oh, what's it called, the Predator? Yeah, I've seen that. And I'm just like, he's like, there, there, there's more than one though, right? Isn't there a second one where they fight two? And I'm just kind of like, oh my God, you know, it's given that there are what, how many, four, five, six, seven, eight films in the franchise now, I think, you know, people are almost spoiled for choices in a way when it comes to which movies they've come into contact with uh, and, you know, how they first came into contact with that character. And I wonder if we reduced it down to just that first film or even the first two if they might be better regarded and if we might still seek those movies out and hold them up as classics. I mean, obviously we fans do, but, you know, just in the eyes of audiences by and large, like, for example, you know, The Shining. I don't think you can find many people who don't recognize The Shining as being a classic, even if they haven't necessarily seen it in ages or if they're not the biggest fan of it. It's just a given, you know. But if The Shining had had, you know, five, six, seven sequels of, uh, you know, not so great quality, then I don't know. You know, would we we would still call the first film a classic, I think. But I don't know. I, I just wonder if its star wouldn't be a little tarnished. Uh, but then again, you know, maybe I'm completely wrong because look at the Jaws sequels. You just mentioned Jaws 2, which I think is fun, but then you get the Jaws 3 and Jaws 4. Those, yeah, are, yeah. those are very, very lousy films, and yet Jaws is still a masterpiece, and you can't find many people who would say otherwise, I don't think. And I don't know where I'm taking this point at all. Uh, <laughs> safe to say, damn it, Alien is a great film. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I wish that it hadn't had so many <clears throat> follow-ups. That's just me. I don't know. Well, but I think, I think um, when you talk about locking something into the public consciousness, you know, like we, 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 we might not like those later. Well, let's take Star Wars. I mean, <laughs> if there'd only been Star Wars, that would be have been a, a magnificent, amazing film. But there were more, and then prequels, and then now some side quest solo films and Rogue One and everything. And and not everybody likes all those films as much as the original, but it's 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 become generational, and it sort of locks. It's it's become a, a cultural thing, whether you like them or not, or watch them or not. I mean, you know, you could you could not have seen one, and but you know it, you know it exists and everything. So, I think there's something about, you know, 
I, I think it brings something like that to the public consciousness in a way that if you just had that one film and it might be like, okay, we're going to perfectly preserve this one film and not tarnish it with any lousy sequels and aficionados would maybe be happy and, and take it out and dust it off and, and watch it and say, Oh, it's great. And thank goodness there were no sequels to tarnish it, but it wouldn't be in the public. It would not be in the public mind as it as as much as it would be with all the sequels and all the merchandising and things like that. And I, and I, I just feel like I can, I can ignore, you know, going back to Jaws, I can ignore Jaws three and go back and, and still put Jaws on a pedestal and say it's great. And, you know, and I can ignore whatever I don't like about the alien franchise and go back to those first two films and, and think they're great. Um, so I, I don't, I don't feel like it. Uh, I feel like I, I don't know. I can't speak for everybody else. I feel like I can make that separation and not lose sleep about it. I hear you. I, uh, I, now, is that true for you with every franchise, though? Because it's funny, as you were saying that, I, I agree with Jaws. You know, when I watch Jaws, that's it. There's that movie. There's not the, uh, you know, the, the, the feeling that there's anything beyond that that's just going to get worse and worse and worse. Like when I watch that shark die at the end of the first movie, I don't imagine that his cousin is going to be seeking an elaborate revenge a few movies down the line. Um but, you know, in Alien's case, you know, I, I, I will admit, you know, when I watched the first movie and she puts herself in Jones in cryo sleep, I'm like, oh, okay, now I really got to pop in Aliens. And then, you know, when you get to the end of Aliens, it's like, oh, Hicks doesn't last much longer than this, you know? And then when, I mean, they're so <laughs> closely linked, it isn't merely, I will give the Alien franchise this, for many of the installments, it's not merely a matter of retreading what's come before. Uh, especially on a visual level, but even on a storytelling level. I mean, obviously you have a cast of characters and the alien knocks them all down by the end, or most of them anyway, but, you know, they're so interlinked that by the time I get to the end of one, I really feel the need to pop in the next one, even when that next one is Alien Resurrection. Um, but uh, maybe not so much the AVP <laughs> movies. But, um, you know, so as a result, I mean, they are, it does feel like one big franchise to me one big story that uh you know has ups and downs uh more ups in the beginning and more downs later on but still uh i i'm a, I'm a sucker for that franchise if it sounds like i'm bashing you know the later entries it's only because i am but i will admit that i still have a fondness for a lot of them too like i I, I still have fun with Alien Resurrection. I still think the AVP movies are a lot of fun. I grew up with the Dark Horse comics. So when I watch uh, AVP Requiem, a lot of people see the worst movie in that franchise. And me, I see a really fun two-issue, you know, uh, one-off, <laughs> you know, that, that very much reminds me of those comics, you know. And I love those little side stories. And, uh, you know, I don't know. So And yet, you know, I can watch something like Covenant, and I was super giddy when Ridley Scott was coming back to the franchise, you know, after Prometheus, and yet I, I don't know. I don't. Maybe that was finally the straw that broke this fan's back, but uh, that was the first time that I felt like it wasn't offering much in the way of something new, you know. And what it did offer, I didn't really care for that much. I didn't need to see 
you know, what's the character's name? David creating the first alien life form. If for no other reason than because, you know, continuity-wise, I know that Ridley Scott is trying to wipe away every sequel that he didn't have a hand in, including James Cameron's movie, which kind of bums me out. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I uh, mm. And, yeah, I will say this. Like, you know, we're talking about it being in the public consciousness. Like, a big part of that, as well-made as the movie is and as well-written as it is and as well-performed as it is, it really, like, a big part of it has to come down to that iconic creature and H.R. Giger's initial design, right? I mean, yeah. you know, so much of it comes down to well, the title character. Well, and you're not, you know, when you talk about these, the, every time you get a sequel, you get further away from something that only the first one can do which is that moment of discovery, that moment of introduction to this world. And, and when you are introduced and brought into a new world and it just, it's so delightful to just meet these characters in this world and how things work in this world and this scary alien in this world and however good or bad sequels are, you're not going to get that moment of discovery again. You already have the taste in your mouth. You, you, that moment of discovery is huge. Is a huge turn on for me at least. And I, I remember, um, did you see the, um, did you see the documentary Jordorowski's Dune? Yes. It's one of the best damn film docs ever made. If not the best. God, I love well, it. I mean, it was amazing, and I was, and and it was a, what 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 one one of the things that was amazing is that the film didn't come together, but little pieces, you know, he like lived on to be in other films. I mean, like he's the guy that went and got Geiger, and then that, the movie didn't work out, but Geiger went on to Alien, you know, and so so you've got all of these, and I go back to you know this notion of a perfect storm, you know, you've got the debris of something that didn't come together, this Dune film, but some of the pieces find their way to Ridley Scott and, and that becomes a perfect storm. And, and that, that discovery of this story and these characters and the look of the film and the vibe of the film, space truckers, whatever you want to say, that has an impact when it's film number one, that it's just not going to in film two and three and four, because even if those films are done well, there's not going to be that aha discovery moment. And I, um, you know, I mean, we want to go back. We want to go back and have that feeling again, but the further we get from the source, the, the harder it is to recapture that feel that, that made us love it in the first place. Yeah. I can't argue with that. Yeah. And I, and I do, I, you know, it's funny that you mentioned like the older that you got, the more of an appreciation you had for the first film. And I think that's probably true for myself as well. I mean, who doesn't love aliens as a young film fan for, uh, for all the action and whatnot. But yeah, now, now I think, you know, it is probably primarily the first movie, even when I'm watching aliens and I'm enjoying it more, maybe, you know, it's there's always that feeling that, you know, this wouldn't exist were it not for the first one. And, you know, it really did nail everything, including, again, you know, including the uh, 
the alien itself, you know, and um, I just I remember uh, when I was a teenager, I was just getting into uh, films and filmmaking and I had this coffee table book. It was like H.R. Giger in film or something like that. And I remember just pouring over all those designs for the various movies. You know, some of them made them into films. Some of them kind of made it, you know, for whatever reason, somebody, you know, who from film to film decided to muck with his designs. And then uh, some of them didn't make it at all. If you ever get the chance, try and look up his design for uh, the Batmobile in Batman Forever. It's just insane. It looks like a pair of uh, biomechanical scissors with wheels. It's nuts. But <laughs> out of all of the uh, the films in that book and all of the designs that he did, I think the person who really nailed his aesthetic was Ridley Scott. You know, I it, it goes back to that first movie, doing it best. And for whatever reason, nobody's ever really been able to do Giger better than that, I don't think. And, um, you know, it's funny. I was... I was joking earlier about, uh, you know, the xenomorph being a rampaging penis creature. But, I, you know, I I will say the film's phallic imagery is distressing at times. You know, you have the xenomorph's <laughs> head. You have the second head that pops out uh, and attacks, you know, that kind of looks like you, we all know what it looks like. I mean, we have the face hugger and how it impregnates its prey. And But weirdly enough, I mean, all that's balanced out by the very sort of... Uh, you know, vaginal entrances, you know, into the various fallopian corridors throughout the ship. And the fact that the ship's AI is called Mother, you know, uh, also the facehugger. Um, and, you know, maybe just the fact that we do, you know, amongst all these space trucker characters, you know, there are only, is it two women? And yet, you know, we do have a final girl of sorts. In the end, we have a last woman standing in the final moments. And, you know, I'm just wondering, I mean, do you think that Scott and Dan O'Bannon, do you think they were... Uh, in doing that, do you think they were merely pulling from Giger's work and sort of allowed that to inform the film on merely a visual level? Or do you think the story is meant to be wrestling with more than just, uh, you know, a rampaging monster on the loose? Well, I do think it's more than just a rampaging monster on the loose. I mean, I think that's the, the guts of the of the film, just to, you know, the, the through line is monster on the loose and we're trying to get away from it. But it's, it's got a lot more going on for it. And, you know, what you're saying, I mean, the, 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 what horror is supposed to scare you and be disturbing, and it can do that on a lot of levels. If a, if a monster is tearing your brains out and there's blood squirting, well, that's an obvious level. And then there are less obvious things. You know, you pointed out some stuff, you know, I mean, the, the monster's head is very penisy. You're ex- exactly right, <laughs> but I, I, I'm, I would... I would I would bet a lot your average viewer was was not going was hadn't thought of it as in the terms you described but there are things that hit you on a subconscious level there are thing, things that hit you uh you know below the surface you know it all comes together it all it's all a collage and so if there's if there are ways you can be disturbed or made uncomfortable on a level that maybe you're not even noticing, then why not? Why not let that add to the tension? And, and uh, you know, the good thing, uh, the good thing about every horror film is you get to leave alive. You know, the, the, maybe not everybody in the film, but you in the audience, you get to walk out and go, Whew, Oh my God. And, you know, sometimes you don't even know why you're all wound up intense, you know, 
that this giant thing is going to tear your guts out. That's an obvious way you're wound up and, you know, you're, you're ready for this thing to jump out at you. Um, but I think, I think Ridley Scott, and again, I go back to that Blade Runner, that Blade Runner, uh, documentary, the making of Blade Runner and Ridley Scott wanted to control everything that was happening in that film. And like, what was it? It was something like there was a cup or, or a pen. There was like a pen on a desk in a scene. And the props guy brought him like two pens, like, oh, which pen do you like? And one of the producers was like, no, you don't understand. We really Scott wants to see every pen ever made and choose a pen to be on the desk that nobody's going to notice anyway. So if he can be that anal about a cup or a pen or something in a scene, then for damn sure he knew what Geiger's work looked like and what that might mean and thought about how to best exploit that on whatever level would disturb us or make us uncomfortable. Yeah, very true. And, I, you know, I I don't know. I feel like I've been leaning on the follow-ups a bit too much. But, you know, in a way, I think, you know, I, I think a lot of the follow-ups reveal some of the genius of that first movie. And it's funny, you know, what we're talking about right now. It doesn't seem as though those ideas were in any way fleshed out or meaningfully, you know, sort of uh, carried over into any of the sequels. Not that I could tell anyway. Well, I don't know. I mean, I mean, sometimes you're just living in the moment and not thinking about the sequel and, or that, you know, and then the sequel's living in its own moment and maybe not going back to, uh, you know, the source material in a way that would have been useful if they'd have done that more. Uh, I don't know. And a lot of the stuff and what I like about this conversation is you're making me think about a lot of stuff that I hadn't thought about when I watched these films. Um, you know, Certainly not all this penis stuff. That's gonna. That's gonna be bugging me for a long time. Oh, I'm gonna be thinking about penis. I, just, I, don't, I, I don't. I don't know. If, I don't know if I'd thank you or, or be upset or. No, I don't know. I don't know what's gonna happen now. You're welcome. But, um, I'm sorry. But yeah, I know it's gonna be. My whole Fourth of July is ruined now. Because of this. <laughs> no, um, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna do the. I'm not doing the brats anymore. I'm not doing the brats. I'm gonna do some ribs instead. I'm gonna cook. I'm gonna cook out something else now. No, but let me. But you know, you said um, you, you said something earlier, like, "Well, is is it just a monster in the house running around?" And it's, you know, and that is the guts of the movie. But you know, there's this whole idea of um, how do I put it the uh, the establishment because you've got that character Ash, the robot, and one of the problems comes from his conflicting orders. And, you know, you talked earlier about, uh, about um, Ripley um, saying, well, we've got rules. There are, I can't let you on the ship because of the rules. And this whole idea of not being able to count on the rules, that, this, that there's this order. We can, we can deal with things if we know the rules and we follow them and we deal with them according to the established order of things. Uh, but in Ash we have the embodiment of a conflict in that order because the same people that say don't let some, uh, an infection on the ship from that same source comes the orders of bring this thing on the ship and protect it 
because the corporation wants it. So, you know, we have what is the obvious monster, which is the alien, the big penis alien. But we also have this idea that these guys, these truckers, our space truckers, are being sacrificed, that their lives are not important, according to the corporation and the established order that is supposed to be, you know, how they live. And it's supposed to make them feel safe and that things are orderly. And so uh, I know, and I don't, I don't have, I haven't thought about a lot of that, a lot about that, but it's not, you know, that part of the problem is internal. It's not just this monster coming from the outside. There's an internal problem as well. And I think that adds a layer that makes it makes helps make the film work better than if it was just monsters running around trying to kill you. And arguably, isn't that the real villain in the franchise? Then who is it? Uh, is it Wayland Utani? You know, it's this uh, you know near faceless corporation. Eventually, it does have a face in the later movies. Uh, but um, you know, I mean, the alien. You know, it's certainly the biggest threat in all of those films. It's it's what racks up the body count. But really, it's just it's the it, immediate. It, it's the, it's the just, immediate threat. Well, yeah, and but it's just you know, it's just doing what it, its nature tells it to it's just biology you know it's just it's it's design is to do that one thing and that's all it's doing and so in a way like to me the the corporation is the real villain in that it's truly evil in the decisions that it's making to harness that thing as a weapon and to sacrifice you know as many blue collar joes as it wants in order to get what it needs or feels yeah. that it needs you know I, I i think they're they are so much worse than just the uh you know, rampaging penis monster. But um, no, that's a very good point, though. I, you know, if for no other reason, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think all of this talk is just another good excuse to go back and rewatch the film. Not that we ever need a good excuse to revisit great movies, but now <laughs> I really want to go and grab that 4K, you know, Blu-ray and check it out again. So thank you for that, sir. And thank you. I, I will say this. Thank you for picking the movie. You know, this podcast has been going on for a bit, and I've had. You know, uh, I've had a lot of guests and I've talked a lot of classics and some new stuff and some obscure stuff. But this is the first time that somebody chose an alien film to talk about, which blows my mind. Well, I, like, I, like I said, I, I feel like it appeals to me because it's got one foot in sci-fi, one foot in horror. That's, and I live, at, I live at crossroads. I live at, like, I like things to be kind of mixed up and mashed up a little bit and bleed in into each other and uh uh and it just and, and like i said your timing was perfect because it was like fresh on my mind because i was sitting in that hotel room and it came on and i just said okay i'm gonna watch this a little bit and it really held up it was really awesome i almost i almost came back i almost like emailed you back like the next day and said oh or maybe we should do the thing. I'd love to talk about the thing, uh, but but no, I'm happy. But I'm happy I stayed with with Alien. I'm happy. I, although there, I think there's a show where you where you talk about because they both have a lot of similar thing. They make a lot of similar moves, you know. Um, so if you were ever going to do a compare and contrast paper, I could see the thing and Alien, you know, both being in there. Um, but no, I, I, I was, that was cool. And you, yeah, you responded like, yeah, do alien. Great. You know? So I figured, <laughs> okay, we're, we're set up. We're set. We're good. Very cool. All right, sir. I, I think we're, uh, we're nearing just about the end of our time. 
thank you so much for coming on the show. And can I ask, before we wrap things up, do you have any final parting thoughts on Alien? I think everybody should watch it because I think you should, I think it's that kind of horror film that you don't have to be a horror person to like it. And, and then, and then maybe, maybe after that you'll go somewhere, you know, like, like, like I think I said before, I'm not a slasher guy. I, you know, there, there are horror films that I'm not, that's just not my thing, but this, I think, you're not just getting a good scare and having a good time. It, it's really a well-done, well-crafted film with good performances and good directing. And just to one more time belabor the metaphor, beat this metaphor over the head, it is, it's a perfect storm. Stuff just came together to make this uh, a really great classic film. All right. Now, can I ask, where uh, where can folks find you at online, and uh, what can we keep an eye out for from you in the future? Uh, well, I just had a fantasy novel that's still pretty new. Uh, it just came out a couple months ago. It's called Warrior Prime. Uh, it's nothing like Alien. It is more like e- epic fantasy, and you can go on Amazon.com and find that. It's Warrior Prime. So that's my latest novel. I am working on some stuff now. There's no kind of release date or anything like that. Uh, but if you want to go online, uh, it is Victor Gishler author.com. Victor Gishler is not, it's not just my name. It's Victor Gishler author.com. And you can see what books I've written and comic books and all that. All right. Thanks again. And thanks to all you listeners out there. As always, make certain to like, subscribe, share, use the comment section on our site, and find us on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Scream Addicts, and I am at Jinx1981. Until next time, folks, thanks so much, and have a great weekend. But I want to get the hell out of here.